welcome to the July 20th, 2022 Empower Hour. We have a great evening planned for you and we are so happy you can join us. I want to mention that for the summer we'll be opening up the Zoom doors for the webinar at 5.45 and the Empower Hour will start at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. We won't be playing the orientation, so if you want to watch it, be sure to check out the website. Coming up is Action for Canada's founder, Tanya Gaw, and joining her this evening is Rocco Galati. I know that tonight's show is one that we've all been anticipating and are so excited about. Action for Canada is a grassroots movement reaching out to millions of Canadians and uniting our voices in opposition to the destructive policies tearing at the fabric of our nation. Through call to action campaigns, we equip citizens to take action. We are committed to protecting faith, family and freedom. I'm so honored to introduce you to Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada. Seven years ago, Tanya started bringing awareness and truth to Canadians about the destructive and tyrannical policies our local, provincial and federal governments were implementing. In July of 2020, Tanya spoke to tonight's guests, guest Rocco Galati, and retained him as legal counsel in response to the BC and federal government's massive pandemic fraud. Tanya is a remarkable truth seeker and freedom fighter, and it's always a pleasure watching her as she teaches, inspires, and empowers Canadians to stand up for their rights and freedoms. Will you please join me in welcoming the lovely Tanya Gaw. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for that introduction. Um, as you mentioned, we're not doing the orientation for the summer, and I'm actually going to get straight to sharing my screen for about two seconds uh, because I really want to get Rocco onto the show. We're going to have great conversation with him. Many of you may be new, and as Heather said, we've been—I've um, been myself at this for about seven years. And if you have not joined um, Action for Canada, somehow you came across tonight's invitation, then we encourage you to um, to join and also to become a part of one of our chapters. As you can see, we've got approximately 159 chapters nationwide, and our intention is to be in every city and every town across this nation so that we can empower people and um, also take back all levels of government. So we are a huge coalition and we're growing and we need you. And so um, as well, I just wanted to bring on our menu bar here. You can see legal action under details and updates. You will come to this page. Uh, Rocco and I provided a press release last year. It has over 600,000 views. You can view that. You can read the statement of claim. You can also view the affidavit that was submitted against the health officer, Bonnie Henry in BC, as well as all communications for the past two years with the RCMP. They will never be able to say they did not know about the crimes being committed against their fellow citizens. And so with that, I'm just going to stop sharing the screen. I just want you to know where some of this information is. And if Heather, will you come on please and introduce Rocco? And uh, thank you. <laughs> Tanya, we're so excited to feature our next <laughs> Yeah, tonight we're so excited to feature our next guest, Rocco Galati, on tonight's Empower Hour. Rocco is a prominent Canadian constitutional lawyer who is committed to challenging 
unconstitutional actions and omissions of the state. He has had a very successful career spanning over three decades. According to Rocco, the most egregious violations against huma humanity are not committed by individuals. They are committed by governments. All wars, genocides, systemic crime against humanity, enslavement and abuses of human rights have been committed by states. In October of 2019, Rocco made the following powerful statement on the steps of the Ontario Legislature. The right to choose does not belong to the state. It belongs to the individual. Only in a police state could you violate a person's body without their informed knowledge and consent. Rocco believes that it is his duty not just as a lawyer, but as a citizen to speak up and take action. And we are so thankful for his impressive knowledge, integrity, and strength of character. Will you please help me welcome Rocco Galati. Rocco, we're so grateful that you can join us today and welcome to the Empower Hour. Thank you very much, Heather. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, and I'll just let Tanya, my boss, take it away. <laughs> well, thank you, Rocco. Thank you, Heather, too. Um, yeah, so it has been a while since we've had you on the show. Much has happened since you were last here. And uh, mm -hmm. so I kind of want to give you a, the platform for a moment, Rocco. We all are doing a live on Facebook. And I just want to invite people who are on Facebook that uh, there is a link to the Zoom meeting in the description. So if you wanna click on that link, you can uh, join us as uh, we'll be moving forward with the show tonight, specifically on Zoom. And so Rocco, I just I just wanna give you actually the floor to open up. You know, you've been through so much within the last eight months. And I think, you know, the, the people that are joining us tonight love you, they care about you. And whatever you're comfortable sharing about your journey, we'd like to hear about. Well, let me, uh, first of all, in all fairness and uh, in complete uh, disrespect to the five obituaries about me that are still online, uh, <laughs> claiming or hoping that I'm dead. Uh, in, the mar in the words of Mark Twain, you know, my uh, rumors of my premature death are somewhat exaggerated. The grace of God and the prayers of all of those people who prayed for me, I'm still here. I think it's fair to just clear the air and explain to people what I've been through since last, uh, just before Christmas. Uh, just before Christmas of 2021, I fell ill. I was bedridden by Christmas day on the 25th. I was hospitalized on January 2nd. I went into ICU. I was in public hospital till January 22nd. During those 21 days, I endured a very brutal 12, 11-day coma. I three times came with, within 45 seconds of being declared dead. Through the grace of God and uh, uh, my wife's uh, incredible resilience and support, I was able to get the treatment of my choice over the objections over the hospital, and I survived the coma, otherwise I would have been dead. On January 22nd, two days after I came out of the coma, I insisted and required that they release me against medical advice. I did not want to be in that hospital anymore. I was released on January 22nd uh, I, to a private care facility. 
when I went to that private care facility, I was on four liters of oxygen a minute. I was completely paralyzed. It took me a while to get my strength back and my mobility back. The hospital had promised me to get me back on my feet by the end of June. I was back. I was stuck. I was uh, with extreme difficulty within 14 days. I was on my feet. However, so from January 22nd, I did not go home until I was off the oxygen, which was on March 2nd. So from Christmas Day to March 2nd, I was essentially under, uh, under acute care. I then went home, but I was not out of the woods. I continued to recuperate. And in fact, today I'm not 100%. I'm continuing to recuperate, but you know, I've tried as much as possible to slowly get back into the grind. Uh, I had my first court appearance, as you know, Tanya, on your case, uh, at my client's insistence, which I abided by. I was given permission by the BC Supreme Court to respond to the motion to strike that was brought by all defendants in the Action for Canada case. Uh, and that was May 31st. And I, you know, that was a one day hearing. And I got to tell you, after that hearing, it took me two and a half, three days to recover. And all I did was sit and talk. So I'm, I, I, I'm still recuperating. I still have a few physical challenges. I don't really need to get into on a Zoom call. I'm, uh, my endurance is still a, an issue and a concern. I'm, I'm, I continue to build my resistance and my endurance. I made my first public speaking appearance on June 23rd at the Alternative Education Conference in, in, uh, outside of Toronto. And uh, last week I attended uh, by Zoom, by teleconference some divisional court uh, scheduling matters with respect to the doctor's cases that my office has continued, mm -hmm. has continued to pursue. With respect to the, uh, that, that, that's basically a rough sketch of my personal circumstances. With respect to the progress of the various COVID pieces of litigation that my office, Rocco Galati Law Firm conducts, sometimes people are confused. They think that the Constitutional Rights Center is a law firm, it is not. It's an advocacy center and a resource center that assists law firms and other lawyers, including uh, some of the cases we're doing, but it is not a law firm. Uh, all these cases that are being litigated with me are under my uh, firm, which is Rocco Galati Law Firm Professional Corporation. So while, while I was in a coma and hospitalized, hospitalized my firm, uh, my associates and junior lawyers and staff law clerks and uh, law students continued on with the progress of the cases. So before I went into a coma, I'd argued two of the doctor's cases, uh, one of which was the very significant case, which I haven't had time to publicize because I went, you know, I've been ill, was the Dr. Mm -hmm. Carolyn Turek case where I went, the College of Surgeons and Physicians and Ontario is trying to discipline her just because of the content of her Twitter posts on Twitter. I brought a divisional court application saying, seeking declaratory relief and prohibition saying, well, you can't, you can't discipline a doctor just for free speech. They brought a motion to quash saying it was premature. 
And the divisional court said, yeah, well, it's premature, Mr. Galati, because they haven't struck a disciplinary hearing yet. If and when they do, and you're not satisfied, come back. It's premature. But during the, uh, in the course of that application, I had challenged the directive of the medical college of April 30th, 2021, that said that no physician shall criticize any statement or policy of any public health officer. And while the divisional court on the short term said, uh, you know, yeah, it's premature, we're not going to hear you now, they gave the college a real stiff backhand by saying, and by the way, you know that directive that you wanted to challenge, we wouldn't hear it anyway, because it's not law. It has no impact of law. It's not binding on doctors. It's just an opinion of the college. So the college lost a real big issue. They they won in the short term, but lost in the long term. So I have quite a few doctors' cases that I'm representing where the only complaint is that they don't like their Twitter feeds. They don't like their criticism of the official COVID-19 measures. Now, this is not an insignificant issue because if they can gag doctors, they've gone a long way, but we've stopped them from gagging doctors just by that case alone. We have two other cases on the go that are progressing and progressed while I was in a coma and ill. My law firm was carrying them. One is the Dr. Killian case, and a lot of people know Dr. Killian. She was the Owen Sound doctor who resigned because of the lies that the CEO of the hospitals was, was propagating. Again, they, they, they're disciplining her and a Dr. Kuska in Ontario as well. In both of those cases we've taken, we're representing the patients as well as the doctors saying that, wait a minute here, a lot of their, the patients of these doctors who've not complained are saying, no, no, we don't want our records going to the college. There has been no patient complaint against these two doctors. And this is the first time that the the rights of the patients are being advanced. Uh, In the past, nobody's thought of doing this. The patients of Dr. Killian, Dr. Kuska are saying, listen, we don't want investigators at the CPSO, the college investigators seeing our private hospital records, our private medical records. We're happy with our doctor, we're not complaining. And so essentially what they're saying is, why should a a college investigator know that I got treated for gonorrhea or had an abortion or whatever the case may be? It's none of their business. Just uh, because a disgruntled member of the public who can't tolerate criticisms against the COVID measures lays a complaint against the doctor, they're not a patient. They don't have any relationship with the doctor. Why should the college walk in and say, we want all your records wholesale? So these cases have progressed. Uh, Dr. Killian's judicial review is being uh, heard September 28th and Dr. Kuska sometime thereafter. The other update I have is that my office is also, before I went into a coma, I began drafting a statement of claim in the Federal Workers Action. We, on May 31st, my office issued a statement of claim in federal court uh, uh, in the, uh, to the tune of $640 million against the federal government on behalf of about 400, 640, sorry, 640 federal employees who were fired for refusing to take the vaccine. That got filed May 31st. You know, not that I'm an egotistical, Tanya, but I don't think it's a coincidence 
that the Prime Minstrel of Canada suspended temporarily the vaccine mandates to travel because they were front and center. Uh, they are front and center as part of our, our challenge, the federal challenge. So he's playing cat and mouse with us. He wants to go to court and say, oh, you don't have to hear this because we've suspended them temporarily. But as everybody knows, he's playing games saying they're going to may, may bring them back if necessary. Plus now they've reinstituted random mandatory testing at the border. We've challenged that as well in that federal action. So we may go in an injunction uh, to stop the PCR testing, which contravenes Section 14 of the Quarantine Act. Uh, and uh, so... In addition to that, on June 15th of this year, we issued notice in Ontario, if you wanna sue the Crown for damages, you have to give the Crown 60 days notice of the claim. So we issued notice with an attachment of the statement of claim. We will be filing August 15th on behalf of 424 Ontario healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, orderlies who work in the healthcare system who were given the same ultimatum by Doug Ford and the hospitals under Directive 6 saying either take the jab or lose your job. We are in the process, we're almost there of organizing what we're calling the first responder and essential worker uh, action in Ontario on behalf of police officers, fighter, firefighters, ambulance drivers, sanitation workers and transit workers in different various municipalities in Ontario. So these are these are progressing. The last thing I'd like everybody to know, and this is mind staggering, to as an indication on how how much of a threat they're taking free speech and free thinking people. And I think Action for Canada will be in their target and in their bullseye soon. On May 30th, there was an, a, a report issued. I only became aware of it July 12th to a reporter from Rebel News. There was a group of academics in Quebec, and I call them the scraping the bottom of the barrel academics from uh, the University of Sherbrooke, Lucam in Montreal, and one from Laval University, along with half a dozen of their researchers and students who issued uh, at the request of the minister, uh, the, the minister of Ec uh, economics, or uh, in Quebec, uh, for the chair that was established, at the University of Sherbrooke, for the prevention of radicalization, terrorism, and violent action, which was set up to try to mitigate against these Muslim Canadian kids who were going abroad to fight against. Uh, including Canada in, 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 in uh, military conflicts around the world. They issued a 130-page report called The Leaders of the Conspiracy Movement in Canada, yeah. <laughs> naming 45 leaders of the conspiracy, conspiracy theorists of Canada. And they hone in on three major ones, you know, uh, Maxine Bernier, Ezra Levant and Rocco Galati with Stéphane Blais from the Fondation Movement in Quebec as people who are advocating radicalization, terrorism, and violent action. 
-hmm. Also in that report, they stay, they say that these conspiracy theorists who think this way are suffering from a severe undiagnosed mental illness. And here we are to tell you that they're mentally ill. Now, what's this remind you of? Nazi Germany, communist China, communist Russia, trying to, and in effect, labeling political dissidents as mentally ill and putting right. them in psychiatric gulags, right? The other well, thing that they're that, aiming yeah. to do with this report, Tanya, is try to go a step further and put us on the terrorism list under the criminal code and then remove mm -hmm. our, our party, our political party uh, status, our broadcasting license, my license to practice law. So <clears throat> the other really vile, vicious and depraved aspect of this report is they, they purportedly did it on behalf of UNESCO, a UN agency, yet they only published it in French. I've never seen a UN agency report that's not published in the five official languages. And I know why they did that, because if English Canada got wind of this report in English, they would be outraged. Uh, mm -hmm. as several reporters in Quebec have already come down and said, this is outrageous. How do you put these people, how do you put these people into this category? And I'll end with this before I take questions from you or anybody else, Tanya, is they use the BS CIA definition of a conspiracy theorist, which is a conspiracy theorist is someone who believes that all major decisions taken are taken by a secret nefarious uh, body or institution. Well, I'd like to break that down for a second. Number one, neither I nor Maxime nor Ezra nor anybody, most of those people on that list, if any of them, had, in fact, I can't speak for all of them. I don't know a lot of them, fit that definition. But let's be clear about something. If we're talking about splitting the atom, gravity, weights and measures, or the spiral and cosmic forces, right? Uh, astrophysics of the universe, which is unaffected by human conduct and decisions. We can talk about what's real and what is not. When we're talking about any human decision made by humans, any socioeconomic or political decision made by humans and human societies, there's only three possible forms any of those decisions can be can take. One, they are either made in public in a fully transparent way, or they're made in secret in a completely clandestine way, or a mixture of the two. And there is no other reality. So what is the problem by saying that some decisions are taken in secret by governments? Otherwise, we wouldn't have the CIA, Mossad, mm -hmm. CSIS, or any security service. Some decisions are taken in public, and some it's a mixture of two. For me, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I am not a, a conspiracy theorist. I am a conspiracy analyst. And surprise, surprise, both with the statement of claim I filed in Ontario through VCC and your statement of claim in BC, we pretty much delineated the conspiracy two years before it came out. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to me, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy analyst. To me, conspiracy is not a dirty word. 
conspiracy is both a criminal code offense and an actionable tort in civil law because they exist. So there you have it. My mother, if she were alive today, would say to me, son, take it as a compliment. You know we're getting under their skin when they go to these fascistic, Nazi-like, Goebbels propaganda, toilet paper reports based on right. simply my Twitter feeds to conclude that I and Maxine and Ezra are advocating radicalization, terrorism, and violence, and that we're suffering mm -hmm. from a mental illness for doing so. These people who call themselves academic are deep, are deep sea snorkeling, and I'll leave it at that. That's my update. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Rocco. I love it that you don't mince words. And I, I just was really looking forward to having you on the show tonight and just providing you the platform to speak from your heart and what was on the forefront of your mind. And for myself, um, you know, having been part of the journey at a distance, albeit of when you ended up in the hospital, uh, being part of that uh, trusted team, uh, you know, as far as the, the managing of um, not, I'm not going to say messaging because there was no messaging to give, uh, but for the very fact that you had said, you know, that there were these obituaries written about you, for instance, and, you know, yeah. so people reaching out whether to Ted at Vaccine Choice Canada or myself, and it's like, how dare people like how what a vile vicious attack uh, on that level yeah. but but yeah. here you were undergoing you know ex extreme not only extreme um, harm health wise but as well as the treatment or lack thereof that you were receiving in yeah. the canadian healthcare system right so so i want to say tanya that to this day, if you go to any of those obituaries, they're still going and people are saying, listen, the man is alive, take this down. And they refuse to take it down. I think it's the Canadian government paying these people. Most of these obituaries that have been mounted in South Asia. Uh, uh, why they wouldn't take them down knowing I'm not dead uh, shows you the level of insidious, disgusting uh, depths of depravity that they go to. Second of all, I, I, I can't say it enough and I thank and people don't believe me when I talk this way because they all think I'm a hard-nosed, cold-hearted, iceberg mm. trial lawyer. But uh, various prayers from various sources reached me while I was in a coma. I was fully mm. cognizant uh, of, uh, you know, people praying for me. When I came out of it, uh, my wife showed me that video that was put together uh, that you all, you were also part of. And, you know, that helped me a lot. People underestimate the uh, sustenance that that kind of emotional, spiritual uh, support give to somebody. What's so interesting about that little short video that she showed me uh, in the two days after I came out of the coma, you can't find it anywhere on the internet. It's been scrubbed out. Wow. You know, and, you know? and, you know, and that I, tells I, you a I, lot, right? It does. It's People don't want out. to see. You know the video I'm talking about where Chris Van Den Bosch and yourself, right? you know, yes. it was a sort of, you know, we were giving uh, you encouragement, letting you know we right. love you, well wishes. Right. And right. what That's, I see, Rocco, is, is that, that video, Tanya. It's well, gone. we've got to uh, we've got to find that and let people know because what mm -hmm. I see, Rocco, is that 
um, yourself, Vaccine Choice Canada, Action for Canada, have had to, had to endure much criticism over the period of time, uh, you know, that we have launched our legal actions uh, regarding our fundraisers, etc. And those have come from even people who say that they're on our side. They've interfered right. with our cases, right. at least they've right. attempted to. Well, and so that, when I that, see that going on when you were sick and, mm -hmm. and recovering, um, it, it looks so bad on them that they're losing the, uh, their support. I remember the first time you called me, it, I couldn't even recognize your voice, uh, right. you know, because of the state that you were in. And right. to me, the love and the respect for you um, is just outstanding. And I want you to, to know that tonight, that the people on this call right. are here because I, they support I, I'm, you. I more than appreciate it. And I want people to know that uh, what you hear in my voice is permanent vocal cord damage from the intubation. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna to have to live that. It's very hard for me to speak and speak for sustained periods of time, but I, I'll do it. I, I argued mm -hmm. your motion to strike in, on May 31st, you know. And, and you it was brilliant. Persevere. Yeah, and the yeah. other the, 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 yeah, the other thing that people have to realize is that there is absolutely no regard. I still have people accusing me of lying about my medical condition online. It still goes on. It's okay. I'm a big boy. I can take that. But it just shows you the level of depravity that the government forces and institutions go to to perpetuate this attack. And why am I the subject of a 130-page report just because I represent people in court who don't sit well with the COVID measures that are unconstitutional? We've entered a fascist state, more than fascist state. And I resent, and I'll debate any day of the year when I, when I refer to these techniques, these measures and techniques, techniques as Nazi-like. People can get offended all they want. They are. There's no yes. two ways about it. You know. Well, this Rocco, is if you weren't, stuff. if if you, yeah, if you in your cases and your expertise as a top constitutional lawyer, and I know there's a few individuals that hate that I call you and the Canadian top constitutional mm -hmm. lawyer, but it just happens to be a fact. And when yeah. I saw you in, 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 um, in our case recently in action, it was the first time I'd actually personally seen you. And when I listened to how you had addressed all of the uh, defendants' uh, responses to our statement of claim, I was sitting there at one point and I was thinking uh, about Bonnie Henry's uh, lawyer. I was thinking, are they on our side? When they were reading your statement of claim, it was so it's it is so well written that it mm -hmm. actually sounded like they were defending us. You're brilliant. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing I want to clear the air on. You know, there's a lot of criticism that people want me to account for my clients fundraising efforts. I want to make something clear and you can confirm this. I have no role in my clients' fundraising efforts. Mm -hmm. I I have no role in my... People think I'm part of my clients' organizations. My clients are my clients. I act on their instructions. I'm their lawyer, right? Not that I would be uh, offended uh, to be associated with my clients, but people have the wrong idea on how this works. I don't instruct my clients. My clients instruct me. Mm -hmm. And this is where I'm, I, I, I'm fed up to no end, where people are writing me and saying, I want you to account for your client's fundraising. I said, I don't need to. I don't want to. I don't have to. You right. got an issue with my client's fundraising? Call my client. Address my client. Mm -hmm. This is where people 
in what I call the cafe culture, ought to wake up and smell the coffee. I know they're drinking herbal tea these days, but they should try a cup of coffee once in a while, right? You got me confused with my clients. My clients are independent agents, you know? Uh, whether it's you or Vaccine Choice Canada, you have a uh, part of you that lobbies, you have a part of you that raises awareness, and then another part of you hires a lawyer to go to court. I'm not your father or mother. I don't answer, you know, I don't have to answer for your actions as an organization. And that people right. should understand that, you know? You know, and I find it interesting as well is that here we are, uh, Ted Koontz, myself, and we're putting ourselves out there for Canadians from the onset. And when I originally met with the RCMP two years ago to say, you know, what they're doing is unlawful. Uh, Bill, Bill um, 19, for instance, was the Provincial um, mm -hmm. Emergency Measures Act that they, that they had put in place. It was passed unlawfully. And the RCMP commissioner had said to me, this has to go before the courts and, and then it's the courts that, you know, will, will tell us to proceed with action. And when I, I remember talking to you and um, I talked to quite a few other lawyers, um, I won't even name them, but it was so pathetic because they had no idea about uh, the agenda, the UN agenda, 2030, mm -hmm. etc. No idea about the attack of uh, Western nations and humanity as a whole. And the, the, within minutes of talking to you, Rocco, you knew more about Agenda 2030 and the World Banks. And in that instant, I knew this is going to be the man for the job. I cannot walk into a case of this magnitude without somebody understanding. And so as I, as I had with every lawyer, you guys were pretty much the exact same uh, fee that was needed to raise. We needed to raise half of the funds to commence the uh, statement of claim reasonable. And that it was not advisable to uh, post the amount of money that we were raising because the Crown would have the opportunity as well, uh, you know, to say we're not going to proceed with this case because you haven't raised your funds. There's just certain things strategically that um, we as an organization as well were doing. And so my question is to others, the constitutional challenge was the way to go on this. It was the way we had to go. And if people didn't like that, commence your own action. Why sit right. back and, uh, you know, criticize the good work that we're all laying ourselves out here and committing so much time to in support of citizens, every single citizen nationwide? But here's the thing, Tanya. You know, people can criticize all they want. I act on instructions. You know, others mm -hmm. say, oh, you put too much into these statements of claim. Well, maybe my clients wanted to highlight the international agenda behind all of this. And what's wrong with that? Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah, could I have pleaded it differently? Of course, but at the end of the day, I act on the wishes, so long as they're legal and they're not illegal, I act on the guiding instructions of my clients. And, you know, when I filed the initial VCC action in July of 2020 and suggested that they'll be looking to put critics they'll be labeling critics of the COVID measures as terrorists. Of course, everybody laughed. Well, they just did it May 30th in this report. Right. Every, if you read my statement of claim that I did on behalf of VCC, it, it reads like old news now. Mm -hmm. Why, is it coincidence that we predicted all this? No, it was already out there. It didn't come right. from our heads. It came from the publications of the World Economic Forum, the Rockefeller Foundation Report, 
on and on and on. This was all documented. If you read either my statement of claim in Ontario and the one I did for you and the other plaintiffs in the action in BC, people forget there's 296 footnotes to all the statement of facts that I plead, right? It could have been a master's yeah. thesis. That. It's not as if we're inventing stuff. We are putting out as a fact what the globalists are saying. We didn't and, and I it. think they did. You know, this is this is unprecedented what we as a nation are facing. And so if oh, yeah. they think a 50 page or as someone said, oh, you only need a 25 page statement of claim. A person can do this on their own and you don't need a lawyer. and You don't need to raise funds. Well, that individual is eating his words now. And the fact is, when you're up against globalists, when you're up against corruption of this magnitude, you need to dig in and you need to do it serious. Right. And you need and to get those facts submitted to the case. Right. I, here's the other thing I want to address about the flatulent rumors out there and criticism that we have been dilatory. Listen, we filed in BC August 17th, 2021. Okay. The defendants first were refusing to accept service and then they yes. asked for an indulgence of 90 days, more or less, which is reasonable when you get a, a 400 page statement of claim. So we said, okay. You have 90 days. That meant into November 21st, 2021. Then they said, well, we want to bring a motion to strike. And I said, fine, bring it as soon as possible, please. So we November 24th, even before I was sick, but November 25th, I was seriously bedridden. I'm then hospitalized. I'm in a coma. While I'm in a coma, they bring their motion to strike returnable February 22nd. 2022. Well, my office said, well, Mr. Gladdy is paralyzed. You know, he can't move. Uh, let's adjourn this till May 31st in the hopes that he's able to argue. I didn't feel 100% physically, but I said to the court, if you let me argue by Zoom, I'll drag myself to the table and argue this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so August 17th to May 30th, let's start counting months. The first three months were burnt by the defendants. The next two months were burnt by the defendants. By the time they got off their bums, I was in a coma. Not that I planned to be in one. But within nine months, we've argued the motion to strike. In what world is that dilatory, given the circumstance? How many days did I delay in that time scheme? Zero. How many days did the plaintiffs delay? We delayed zero. Yeah. All right. So, and you talk to any lawyer in the country, when you have a statement of claim of that extent and complexity, because the COVID measures are not simple, they're saturated, complex on purpose. They're not provincial, national, but they're international. They don't get and fully argue a motion to strike in eight months in those circumstances. So where's the criticism lie? Where I mean, it, it, it's fantasy that we've sat on our bums on our case. We're moving it along. Well, I think it's either from uneducated individuals who are creating uh, this this image, you know, that we're not advancing, or it's those that are actually working for the other side. And I believe yeah. completely, 100% believe that the defendants have every reason why they want to delay this because, you know, they are committing egregious crimes. And they, right. uh, you know, for myself to affect, I, I would say that these are treasonous acts against, uh, you know, the citizens of 
this nation in trying to bring um, our democracy down. And, and these are the things that we're facing. This is not about a virus. This has nothing to do with a virus. Clearly, clearly. It's, uh, and it's, it's mind staggering. And, you know, even though we predict every move, I predicted every move accurately since right. March 11th when they declared the pandemic. Right. And, and, I, and, and this goes by the way. It's ignored, right? So <laughs> if you read my March 17th, 2020 Twitter post, in one Twitter post, I encapsulated this entire COVID pandemic. People forget that. And when I posted that, Friends of mine in the bar were saying, Rocco, you've lost it. Now, you read that Twitter post again, you know, and it went something like this. I don't remember the exact quote, but it went something like this. COVID-1984 frenzy, the slow totalitarian tiptoe to the new world order. Exactly. Uh, a military exactly. and police on the street, parliament and courts closed down the death rate will be no higher than the annual influenza the elderly the biggest the largest victims now doesn't right. that encapsulate what's happened in the last mm -hmm. two years what did you know, i have a crystal ball no anybody who's awake and who's mm -hmm. is keeping up with this globalist agenda knows what they're planning why they've been publicizing it since 2015 and in fact, since 2010, and before that, this all started, this all started with the swine flu of 1973. Now, if you have any doubt about the love, you know, people say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Davos, okay, they had the, the recent Davos conference, right? Do you know what year they celebrated for Davos this year? Tanya, do you know what year? I th I, what well, anniversary I it was? I thought it was 60 years, but I could be mistaken. Yeah, close, 50. The first Davos conference was in 1972, coinciding with the first pandemic scare of the swine flu, number one. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it's been going along. Now, I want, I want to publish. I did a breakdown. Somebody released the delegate list at Davos, 2,700 and something. I siphoned out the 54 Canadian delegates to Davos. And it's mind-staggering. They include... Premier Legault of Quebec, the chief financial administrator of the Quebec pension plan, the chief administrator of the Canada pension plan, the chief administrator of the Ontario Federation, a school uh, of, of school uh, pension plan, the administrator of the Omer's pension plan that covers all provincial civil servants, all the major banks, it is a who's who of the globalists, which includes people who are running the union, the the union pension funds, and people wonder why the unions are not going to bat for their employees. Well, no surprise. No yeah, surprise. they're so deeply they involved in the it themselves. Right, right, right. 
Yeah. No, they've been very well organized. And I say it's been decades in the making. I as well in uh, March of 2000, sorry, of March of 2020, I wrote a report called Government Corruption and Colluding with a Foreign Syndicate. And absolutely to the T, I have all the details in there of what was going to happen, ID 2020, what was going to happen to our elderly, our children, employees. And I actually sat down in in, uh, July of 2020 with the commissioner of the RCMP for BC. I laid out these reports. And uh, that's why I said earlier, they can never say they didn't know. And I understand there's the Bohemian Grove in, in, uh, what is it, in California, and the UN Uh, I was just reading the other day, was established through the individuals uh, that were uh, part of the Bohemian Grove. Uh, Harper has been there, uh, Peter McKay, and many others, uh, you know, even even who are um, current elected, you know, officials. It, It runs very deep. And so what we are overturning is so massive, it is history making. And so for anybody to be fooled, like we're not going to see the delays in the court on our cases and we're not up against uh, deep corruption are just so mistaken. And they've got to understand that we are working at our absolute utmost and best to see these cases through. Listen, the other thing too is I remember when I was doing the, uh, I'm the only lawyer in Canada to challenge uh, globalization treaties. Uh, my first was in 1996. So, and the last one was with Paul Hellyer with the CETA. So over the years, over the course of the last, you know, 25, 26 years, I've seen the roadmap to where these people want to go because I had the right to discover their documents, right? And so if you talk about the stuff to your average person, even your average educated lawyer, they look at you and say, are you nuts? You know, are you, in, you know, but it's there. So if, if, if you're willing to read and educate yourself, I'm not making any of this up. I'm getting it from the horse's mouth, from them. And when I tell people, you know, come September, the lockdowns and the restrictions are gonna come down even heavier. Oh, you're crazy, it's over, it's finished. Really? Well, what's happened in the last week or two? You know, the new, and they're giving them these super duper numerical numbers, you know, the, the uh, uh, variant B.5 Zash 1 and all this crap, right? They're going to talk about, oh, we're, it's going to be more severe in the fall. Well, they're lining us up for another crackdown. It's part of yeah. the uh, psych war that they're engaged in. They abuse you, oh. they get you used to to a certain level, they let you. They let you enjoy the summer and then they come back heavier in the fall. And that's what's right. happening. You know, I so, compare it to them, you know, putting people's head, forcing it underwater and they're splashing around, you know, throughout the fall, winter and spring. And now they've let people back up to breathe. And, yeah, uh, you know, it. people are gasping and they're recovering. And, uh, you know, so uh, we know what's coming. It's collective yeah, waterboarding. Water that's no, it, it, is. it is very similar to that, Rocco. And that's one of the of reasons course. we've got a lot of people on the show tonight. And I'm hoping many more will view this because I remember something you said, um, along with us filing these constitutional challenge, you said, hey, don't rely completely on me. You guys have to get, you know, well, you have to be responsible and all. get active. Right. They shouldn't rely well, on you, me or you at all. In, in the sense of there being hope. Free will and, and freedom. Yeah. 
Right. So Action for Canada has come up with the notices of liability. I'm getting still reports from individuals who have gotten masks permanently off their children. We're not going for exemptions. We're not asking for permission. We're taking the rights that we have and we're standing on them and we're teaching people how to do that, mobilizing them. And now we're applying uh, the criminal code and for union leaders and employers who have not responded to the notices of liability, we're actually laying private information against them and we're disrupting the system we're also going for the elected positions as well go ahead sorry well no it's always been my view that when you ask for an exemption you by implication are agreeing that the measures are otherwise okay right they're not it's got to be a you know, zero so. tolerance. We we right. have guaranteed rights, and I and I right. love it that we're there. So let's talk about where are we going to go uh, with the conversation right now? Because I know there's some great issues. I know for during the trucker convoy, I was by Wikipedia put on a, a list of terrorism. I was surprised that I didn't make it on this 45 uh, persons of conspiracy theorists. Well, I gotta say, Tanya, um, you're you're one of the most attractive terrorists I've met. Hey, oh, thank you, Rocco. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I know. Usually, I, I, I mean, they have, they have beards and don't bathe regularly, but anyway, go ahead. Right, and very, very sinister motives. So I'd, I'd like right. to see them dig up their sinister motives on me and, and, and you, you prove this terrorism. No, but, you so, know, as much as we can joke about this, this is severe, right? And it's we knew they were going here. I, predict, I predicted this because all fascist states go to this. They label those who criticize terrorists, violent actors, and mentally insane. But, you know, when I, uh, referring back to this 138, 30-page lilting drunken report by these bottom of the barrel, uh, scrape the bottom of the barrel academics, really, you write this about me and never once call me for my reaction? Really? What are you thinking? Have you not researched my legal career, my successes that you can just, based on the fact that I'm Italian probably, decide that you can say I'm just a mentally ill advocate of terrorism? Why? In what other universe could you get away with this? Seriously. Well, to, to me, this is just pure evidence of what a threat you are. Um, And I believe that as much as people want to think we've fallen into tyranny, I believe that things are, as we see worldwide, uh, I call it the house of COVID is falling. Uh, People Mm -hmm. are rising up in opposition. And now I believe there's more and more judges that are going to have to very carefully consider their position and how far down they want to go. Well, let me me update uh, your viewers on this. Uh, five weeks ago, the Indian Supreme Court came down with a resigned, resounding judgment that said two, I'll, I'll summarize it for everybody. Number one, not only are mandatory vaccines unconstitutional uh, as against bodily integrity, right. same as Section 7 of the Charter in Canada, but they said any coercive measures to try and force people to vaccinate is unconstitutional. Then they said the government is nonetheless free to take protective measures against a pandemic. However, given the body of international scientific and medical evidence, and given that everybody concedes that the vaccinated can receive and transmit the COVID-19 virus, just like any the unvaccinated, that any discriminatory or unequal treatment based 
on vaccinated versus unvaccinated breaches the equality provisions of the Constitution. Now, there's a Supreme Court that's got their head screwed on right. Right. Uh, uh, U.S. appeals court uh, uh, killed the masking on planes based on the same science, saying, well, why should you mask if everybody can transmit and receive? What's the point? It, so it, it's absolutely it is turning lunacy. even in judicial pronouncements. It's turning. A couple of uh, arbitrators in Ontario with nurses said, no, you can't discriminate against unvaccinated nurses. The vaccinated ones can transmit and receive anyway. So what's the logic in discriminating and firing? So yeah. the tide is turning then, even, ju- even and, judicially. And do international uh, decisions like this, is it possible that they would assist or have an impact, uh, well, for sure. instance, like, in courts? The Indian Supreme Court, people forget. You know, in, uh, you, do you know what India's official language is? I would say, I, I believe Hindu. English. Do you know what the language of the courts in India so is? It's because they come from the British. Yes, right. They're no okay. different from Canada. They're an right. ex-British British. colony. That's The correct, Indian right. Supreme Court has been cited by our Supreme Court more than once uh, for, for cases. They're not a slouch court. The Indian and Pakistani Supreme Court, by the way, Pakistan, also the courts run in English. My wife's from Pakistan, and I've been to the courts in Pakistan. And the level of their lawyers and judges is far superior to ours. In Indian Pakistan, if you're a lawyer, and most of them are trained at Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, and then they go back home to practice. The, if you're a lawyer in those ju- two jurisdictions, for the first 10 years, you can only practice in the lower courts. Then after 10 years, you have to have, I think, eight cases under your belt that were of jurisprudential significance before you're allowed to practice in the, in the superior courts, mm-hmm. the high court. Then after you practice there for 10 years, you have, a, you have to have a minimum of so many cases that you've won that made law. So after 20 years, you're allowed to plead in the Supreme Court. So the lawyers who get up to the Supreme Court to plead in front of those Supreme Courts and the judges are the highest caliber you can imagine. We don't have that caliber of a bar or judiciary in Canada or the United States where most things are done under political favor. And the chief justice of the Indian and Pakistani Supreme Courts, and they've exercised this power. If if a judge is sent to them that they feel was sent for political favor, they can they, they send them back. They say, we're not taking Send us another one who's fully qualified on merit and not politics. So we may laugh all we want about these two jurisdictions. I can tell you from experience, right, that there are they, they have a higher caliber. And, and the Canadian Supreme Court in the Quebec secession reference, when it outlined the underlying structures of our constitution, heavily relied on an Indian case from the Indian Supreme Court in 1974. The theory all came from the Indian Supreme Court. So to answer your question, yes, the Indian Supreme Court holds a lot of weight. It's a Commonwealth court to this day. People forget that. Right. That's, that's so different news. from Canada. And- it is, but yeah. it, that's very good news. And so within Canada as well, so you're saying that in the Indian courts, obviously a very much higher caliber uh, within the judicial system. Uh, so are they still appointed then or are they elected? No, no, they're appointed, but they are okay. appointed on merit. So right. for instance, you can, you know, you don't, 
you don't have an idiot sitting on the Indian or Pakistani Supreme Court. I'm sorry. You do on the U.S. Supreme Court, okay? Because mm -hmm. it's all political, politicized. In those jurisdictions, politics doesn't play favor. You have to be really accomplished jurist, not only as a lawyer. So in Canada, you can go to the Supreme Court a day after you were called to the bar. Now, some people say, well, that's more egalitarian. I say, that's foolhardy. What experience do you have a week or a year into, into your practice? So while their system is more restrictive, it guarantees a much higher caliber of advocacy. So the people appearing in their Supreme Courts, as well as the judges, right, are the highest caliber possible. Mm -hmm. okay? Oh, to dream of such a thing in Canada. I know Forget that it. we've got our Forget work set it. out for us, right, Forget because it. of this yeah. uh, year, yeah. years ago. You know, they've got these judges and, and they have the ability, if, they, if you feel there's a conflict and they need to recuse themselves, it's like, they're the ones in charge of saying whether or not they feel they should be recused. Well, that's going to be an obvious answer. There's the got to be oversight. Yeah. The other thing that the Pakistani and Indian Supreme Courts have the jurisdiction, <laughs> and they've done it uh, in Pakistan, they've done it three times. They have original jurisdiction on a motion to hear uh, uh, a case that's of a compelling national interest. For instance, Three times they've hauled the president of Pakistan to come before them and explain what the hell are you doing with this corruption? Mm. The, the Pakistani Supreme Court has jailed former heads of state what? for their corruption. Okay. You wish right. our Supreme Court could do that. Yeah, and, well, and let's certain move cases, to certain cases, you can go directly to the Supreme Court if it's of uh, dealing with a constitution. You don't have to go through the lower courts. You can go directly to the Supreme Court on certain matters. I think that's 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 what I call access to justice, Tanya. You well, know? you you won a, a very important case many years ago regarding having was it uh, a judge or judges removed who had been appointed? Well, both. I had two I had two cases. One was the Justice Nadon case, where I had Justice Nadon prohibited and removed. He had been sworn, as it happened, but he never got to sit. They're not following the terms of the Constitution. And in the course of doing that, I single-handedly constitutionalized the Supreme Court to the effect that the federal government cannot do anything to the composition of the court without the unanimous consent of all 10 provinces. That's seismic. Right. Okay. In the other case, I had 19 so-called deputy judges in the federal court system fired for sitting illegally. I'm the first only and probably last lawyer who's had judges fired because they were sitting illegally because most lawyers are afraid for their reputation to make waves. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Well, you've never, yeah, you've never shrunk against a challenge like that. So um, looking at our judges right now, is there any way based on the constitutional violations that are going on that any of them could be challenged further at this time? Uh, well, let me say this. The law, I've always said, is a human institution. So you have honorable judges and you have dishonest judges like any other citizens, right? And so even on the COVID front, you know, we've had a couple of decisions in Ontario where they slam this notion of disinformation. They slam the notion that, you know, you can't criticize or place into question the COVID measures. So 
people say, well, what do you think your chances of winning are? I said, it's, it's an irrelevant question. We have a very strong case. We have a good case. We will fight and pursue it. Yeah, there are judges who won't apply the law, but then there's judges who will apply the law. So it's just a matter of who we get, and then there's appeals. And the higher up right. you go, the better scrutiny you get. And that's just the system. That's, that's a system we're gonna we rely have. on. We don't have another system. Yeah. But while okay. we're doing that, make no mistake, the population at, jar at large gets educated, do they not? Yes, that's, that's true, Rocco. So can you tell me, because I know it's on, a, on the heart and minds of a lot of people right now. So the government with the media support and with the union support is pushing this very deadly experimental injection and um, not being uh, forthright with the numbers of harms and deaths that it's causing uh, with uh, stays that could be, be put in place and applied. Uh, what do we do? What, what is the answer right now as we wait to go to court? Well, we wait, Other than I, telling I, people just, yeah. Well, people have to keep fighting on the ground. You know, the battle is not just going to be solely won in the courts. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, well, let me give you some numbers, you know. This is why they're starting to put the pressure on again. According to Teresa Tan, so these numbers are minimally, you know, uh, minimal numbers. They could be inflated because it's not in your interest to say this. So they claim that 90% got the first dose. I don't believe that. But let's take their numbers. They say 70, 75 got the second one. According to Theresa Tan, 52% of Canadians got the third one. Now, in that calculation, you have to reduce, as we all know out there, it's no secret, a lot of people are just getting fake certificates, okay? So we got a situation now that less than half the population has actually agreed to this third dose. On the fourth dose, I think Quebec is the highest at 11%, Ontario is sitting at 4%. So we see that the population at large is quietly, right, saying, I'm not going for this cup anymore. I was willing to take two doses to get back to normal, but you're lying to us. We're never going to get back to normal. And now you want me to take one every three months. So people should not dis discount that quiet waking up in resistance. And a large part of that has to do with the fact that we told them so two years ago. They didn't believe us then, but now they're waking up to the fact that, hey, these guys maybe were right. Yeah. Because it's yeah. unfolding I, I, as they said it would. Like two years, uh, 18 months ago, I tweeted that Trudeau has bought enough doses for every Canadian to have a COVID-19 dose every three months till 2025. Because I counted the number of doses he said he bought and divided by the Canadian population. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You just need a basic arithmetic calculator. And why people weren't waking up to that at the time is beyond me. You know, yeah. so now it, they're saying it's waning. Well, you know, yeah. if it wanes after three months, why are you bothering? Mm -hmm. Now they're even I, the, e even a lot of the health departments in Great Britain and all of that are admitting, and these numbers are low, that one in 5,000 who takes the COVID vaccines is going to have severe permanent damage. Mm -hmm. I think one in five is low, but even if it's one in five, that's still high. Yeah. One in 5,000. I think it's much higher than that. The UK health uh, uh, department conceded and issued a paper on how to mitigate against microcarditis. The survival rate of teenagers who got that from the vaccine is only 50% within eight years. So of the millions of teenagers who got microcarditis, 
They'll, half of them will be dead in eight years. Yeah. That, well, did you that, see that the is recent... unforgivable. It is, it's Rocco. It's, it, did you see the recent report uh, from the, the casket makers that the 400% uh, increase in uh, yeah. casket making for children? And, yeah. and it, you know, it is so diabolical uh, that, mm -hmm. you know, justice we pray and hope will prevail at some point. When I, when I had launched the report, Government Corruption, including with a foreign syndicate, I launched it in April of 2020. And in May of 2020, we sent it to every single premier in Canada. And I did mm -hmm. a call to action. I know they received it uh, dozens of times. People had uh, confirmed that for me. So I know they got it in their office. We asked them to read the report and then uh, to get their people back to work within their own province, get their citizens back to work. If the federal government wasn't going to look out for their well-being, it was up to the premiers. And then to commence an investigation against the federal government based on this report. And there were crickets. And I remember receiving emails from people saying, I hope you and your family get COVID and, you know, I hope you die. But yeah. I knew in my heart these people were going to learn the hard way and they were going to be waking up. And even now, it's, uh, you know, I tell all my chapter leaders, this is a time we're going to have to have grace. They got sucked in. They didn't have the wisdom to understand or even take the time to learn what it was that they were participating in by wearing the mask and then going ahead and taking this deadly yeah, it's, jab. It's, it, it, but, you know, it goes back to the old wise Mark Twain insight that it's 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 a lot it's much easier to fool somebody than convince that same somebody that they've been fooled mm -hmm. it's just human ego and human yeah. you know narcissism unfortunately most people can't look at themselves but a lot of people can well quietly walk away and say I've been duped yeah I've been and, had. but you're getting a lot more and more people waking up to that and uh, that's why, like I say, I'm glad to have you on the show tonight. We could, Great. you know, talk about some of these these issues that um, I know that, you know, unless we actually have a, a verbal discussion about it, people are, are left to, uh, you know, succumb to the lies, possibly. And right. if we can set that record a little bit straight tonight, I'm happy to do it. Right. So I want to leave everybody with the famous Oscar Wilde line, one of his famous lines anyway, when he said, when you speak the truth, you're bound to be found out. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. All right. On I'm that note. I'm impressed at one point you had 1.4K viewers on this uh, Zoom call. And uh, I'm glad that uh, people are tuning in and are aware and are out mm -hmm. there defending their constitutional rights. That's the way it's got to yeah. be. 100%. Night, they showed up. They showed up for you tonight, Rocco. We love you. Thank you so much. Send, send my love to your family. And uh, we look forward Thank to you. great successes. All right. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I have been looking forward to that, my friends. Thank you to everybody. I see the chat just blowing up with thank you, Rocco. We love you, Rocco, and their support. And uh, it was good to hear about the cases. It's just tremendous to hear from uh, Rocco. Uh, good to as well talk about a little bit about his uh, journey and what he had to undergo through his illness. We're just so glad that he's on the road to recovery. So thank you to everyone. We want to remind you that next week we have Dan Bash 
Sean coming on. We promised you that we were going to talk about the food supply and food security. And Dan is going to walk us through farming, how to can, preserve, and uh, just, you know what, you got to be proactive in preparing for the worst of things. And so this fall, you know the government's going to try something. We see what's going on in the world with the food supply chain. And uh, so Action for Canada loves our Action for Canada family. So we're going to teach you how to be prepared. So make sure you join us next week. God bless you and God bless Canada.